This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between, offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthierhappenstogether. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. Hello and welcome to Series 2 of Out with Susie Ruffle. I hope you're all doing well and I am so looking forward to sharing this new series with you. I've spent the last couple of months squirrelling away creating it and I have a collection of wonderful interviews with some incredible people from the LGBTQI community. And I want to thank you for listening and for being part of it. I've been genuinely blown away by the amount of emails, tweets and gorgeous comments and ratings I've received on iTunes. I'm so delighted this little show created in a cupboard in my flat during a worldwide pandemic has been so important to so many of you. From people within the queer community and our allies, thank you so much. Now, usually at the top of the show, I share some listener stories. However, lots of you have asked me if I'll share my story. Well, you're all very nosy, but I am willing to do it. So I guess I'll start when I realised that I felt different. I always felt like an outsider, sometimes without even knowing it. It was in a French class in year eight when I realised I'd been staring for a girl for almost the entire lesson that I realised I might not be straight. The following years of me wrestling with these feelings brought me a lot of sadness and also a lot of shame. I was so desperate to be like my friends And when I went to college, I met a girl like me and we embarked on a secret romance. We'd often, I'm sure you can hear me smiling, (laughs) we'd often get the train to Brighton just so we could hold hands where no one knew us. But later that year, I was accepted into drama school in London and I decided in my teenage mind that I couldn't be an actress and be a lesbian. So I decided to be straight. I even got a boyfriend and moved in with him for a while. But I could never ignore that Whilst the relationship was nice and he was great, it didn't feel right. After a couple of years, I realised I was half living, half being me, and I decided I had to deal with these feelings. I had to deal with my sexuality and I had to come out in order for me to have a happy life. I will never forget turning up at my friend's house, suitcase in one hand, teddy bear in the other, and announcing, I've left him, I think I might be gay. She responded, Well, you better come in. Luckily, I've got a bottle of wine. (laughs) My first girlfriend helped me learn how to be okay with myself. And she even helped me celebrate being queer. We broke up a few years later, but we remain great friends to this day. I feel very lucky to have her. She really helped me find peace in what was quite a turbulent time for me. My mum and dad took a while to get their heads around it. And like so many other parents, they thought it was a phase. And they thought that I'd live a lonely life if I was a gay person, that I'd never have a family, that I'd never settle down. 
that my life would be less than. That was about 10 years ago. And there's been a few girls and a couple of broken hearts since then. But I'm now happier than I've ever been. There's no way that I'm living half a life. And once mum realised that I was the same daughter that she had always had, in fact, that she knew me even better than she did before, our relationship blossomed. And now here I am coming to you from a cupboard in my flat that I bought with my partner Alice last year. And we were supposed to get married, as many of you know from previous episodes. We had to postpone our wedding due to the pandemic, but we're excited to get married in the future when we can. I never thought that would be possible for me. I never thought that I would be living a life with a woman that my mum and dad love to bits. They even say that it's like they have a second daughter. And I know how lucky I am to have this relationship. I never believed that it would happen for me. But here we are. We're happy and we're settled in this beautiful life that we've created together. When interviewing, I always ask guests what advice they would give to their younger selves or a person in a similar position. What would I say to younger Susie? I'd say, I know at the moment you feel like you'll never be accepted. I know that you feel lost constantly. I know that you're wearing this backpack of shame that feels so heavy and that as soon as you utter the words, I'm gay, it feels like the sky will fall in. But it won't. You'll be fine. And there'll be a while of readjustment while people get their heads around it, but it will be fine. I also know that you think that you'll never fall in love. And I know that you think you'll never be loved, but you will. And it will be just as magical as you dreamed. Also, Susie, I need to tell you, Nan won't care. Telling my Nan, who is such an important part of my life, was always my greatest fear. I was so worried that she would feel differently about me, that she'd love me less than her other grandchildren. In the end, my auntie told her, I'll be honest, I didn't have the guts. She rang me the next day and she said, Susie, I know everything and I love you just the same as before. That is a memory that I treasure, especially since Nan's not here anymore. I'd also say, Susie, please stop worrying. Stop worrying about everything. Stop worrying about how you look. Stop worrying about whether people like you. <sighs> Just chill. And also, Suze, stop falling in love with straight women. It never ends well. You'll find your one and you will be so happy. So there you are. A little insight into me. And please remember, if you want to share your story, you can please email me at hello at outwithsusieruffle.com. Now on to today's episode. Oh, guys, I'm really excited for you to hear this. So excited. I think that you'll hear me gushing throughout this episode. I'm such a huge fan of his. Today's episode is with one of my favourite comedians in the world and the nicest man in show business. It is the wonderful Alan Carr. 
Okay, listeners, I am so excited for today's guests. Alan Carr is one of the UK's most successful and treasured comedians, starting in the Manchester open mic circuit to selling out arenas across the UK. Alan's skill, alongside being truly hilarious, is his warmth and likability. We all feel that we know him, whether it's hysterical routines on stage, interviewing pop stars and Hollywood actors, or spinning discs on Radio 2, he feels like our Alan. And we know him from loads of TV shows, of course, nine series of Chatty Man, something about movies, Live at the Apollo, DVDs, and his new show, Alan Carr's Epic Game Night, which is my mum's favourite lockdown TV. (laughs) Also, this episode is particularly special for me. About 10 years ago, I watched Alan's first DVD, Tooth Fairy Live, and read his book, Look Who It Is. And that really ignited a passion for me for stand-up comedy. So if you've ever enjoyed my comedy, it's in a big way thanks to him. Please welcome to the show the wonderful Alan Carr. Hello, Alan. Oh, Susie, that's so lovely. Well, it's all lies, but no. (laughs) Well, listen, listen, I... And it was quite emotional listening to you say that because I know you made Tom Allen cry on this podcast and you're not getting to me, Susie. <laughs> I listened to the one I listened to the one with Tom and I had to ring him up. I said, my God, we had the same childhood and the same coming out things and the same... I found it very odd and I had to ring him up. Well, you know you two were born on the same day as well. Along with Boy George and Paul O'Grady. It's the gayest day ever. And I, I know even if you don't believe in star signs, that is so very odd, isn't it? It's very strange. Well, can I tell you this? We had, um, uh, we do a show, me and Tom, there's something about movies and we got absolutely levered on the last day, which was last Saturday. I know, and I spoke to him on to, Sunday. Oh my God, <laughs> oh my God. Well, we were absolutely paralytic, can't remember anything. I didn't know that I'd said, oh, Tom, sleep in my spare room. I'm sitting there having my cereal. I see these loafers come down the stairs and a suitcase. I'm thinking, oh my God, I'm being burgled by a manager of a regional NatWest. And then, then I heard, oh, thank you, Alan, for letting me stay. And I was like, oh my God, it's him. So yeah, it freaked me out. I love that. I love it. And, and I forgot to mention in your intro that you've also won a BAFTA. Where's your BAFTA? Oh, yeah. That's what I want to know. Oh, that's in my bedroom. Your BAFTA's in your bedroom. It's, it, I'm always interested where people keep things like that. Yeah, yeah. I put it on when me and Paul do sex games. <laughs> <laughs> I like to dress up as a gold phantom. <laughs> swinging from you the chandelier. It first. <laughs> you it first. Well, listen, next time you're out getting hammered with Tom, I'm going to come and stay in your spare room with you like it or not, and I'll look like a regional NatWest manager walking down the stairs in the morning. Because that's obviously my, the look that I love. <laughs> Or maybe like a high-class estate agent, that sort of thing. Um, Alan, thank you so much for taking the time. I know you've you've been, like, really busy in lockdown, haven't you? Yes, it's all very weird. Um, you know, I realised... I foolishly said to Paul at the beginning of it all, and just be careful what you wish for, everyone. I said, oh, I said, I just want to retire. I'm sick of it. Work, work, work. I want to retire. Oh, my God. One week into lockdown, I realised I'm going to be like Ken Dodd, Joan Rivers. I will be 98 at the Palladium. Hey, I'm gay. Get over it. You know what I mean? I just... I will work until I die. I can't not work. Have you always been like that? 
I have, I have, I think so. And then I do have these awful downs where when I'm not working and I think, oh God, everyone, I get FOMO, it's called FOMO, isn't it? Mm. I think, oh, everyone's having a good time, everyone's having a party and no one's invited me. That's just me, what I'm like. But I, sometimes I do need to be, just just relax a bit, you know, stop Have a bit it, of downtime. Yes. I but I think that's something that's really common in stand-ups. Because I think because when we start, when you sort of start on the open mic circuit, the idea is, is the more gigs you do, the better you'll get. You'll get a 10, you'll get a 20. Then you'll be able to write an hour, go to Edinburgh. And I just think it, you get on this treadmill and then you just get used to working at that pace constantly. Yes. Yeah, you do. And you always, there's that little bit as well. You know, you want to keep trying to be match fit because there's always mm -hmm. going to be someone who's camper with bigger teeth, bigger glasses, <laughs> round the corner trying to take your place. Well, that's what I... I get and you just I've always worried that the the TV's gonna um gonna dry out so I've always had um a stand-up parallel career because a I love stand-up mm -hmm. I just love doing it and sometimes TV can a little bit be a bit stifling so because I didn't want it when it all ends and it will all end I didn't want to just go hey you know those people who go back to stand-up hi I did it 30 years ago and it feels a bit oh you're only doing it now because you got no work but I like to keep it up because I feel I just think it's well you know when you've been on panel shows and stuff if you're match fit stand-up wise you're much funnier aren't you yeah, that definitely. muscle is just going hammer and tongs it's just going well I think as well it gives you you like the thing with stand-up is it's such a quick like return you write something yeah. in the afternoon you go and try it and then you get that buzz of it working which you can get in a studio of course when the audience laugh but it's something a bit different when it's stand-up isn't it yeah it's from the heart it's visceral isn't it you feel it and you feel that Absolutely. bond you feel that magic there I just love it I love it me too I've, yeah I can't wait to get back on stage I did one of those very weird socially distanced car park gigs it was like I was hosting a dogging event it was very strange but <laughs> <laughs> we're doing what we can in these strange times <laughs> and as you know I've given all that up so <laughs> you must stop you must you're famous now <laughs> can I just say this you know you, you said you gave me such a gushing introduction and it sort of reminded me about you know you when you supported me on tour and we were in mm -hmm. that community centre behind that curtain oh, and when God. the audience came in at seven <laughs> and we, the, we couldn't use any toilet did we because it was out of bounds it's no this toilet. tiny community centre and you're saying, Alan, you know, when I, I watched you do stand-up and, you know, you really inspired me. I was and very Friday gushing night, about Alan's you were very But then I was gushing ten minutes later when I had to piss in front of you in a cup. Wait, <laughs> <laughs> we were like, oh, there's not a toilet backstage. And obviously, obviously it kills a bit of the magic of Alan goes as a wee next to someone in a urinal. So, like, oh, you can just use a mug and then I can just hear sort of... Alan Carr having a piss down a few stairs whilst I'm like humming a sea shanty to ignore I know, it. I was like, whistle, Susie, whistle. <laughs> So, um, as always, with this podcast, we sort of start at the beginning. And did you grow up in Northampton? Is that right? Yeah, for the main part. Yeah. Wherever my, wherever my dad was manager, we would go, uh, you know, I was born in Weymouth, then Dartford, and then uh, uh, Northampton. Yeah, so mainly Northampton where I grew up. Your dad's, a, people don't know, a manager of a football teams. And did your dad want you to be a football player? Oh, God, did he ever. Oh, my really? God, yeah. Yeah. 
I get all that now. Oh, I'm watching the FA Cup final. That's my dream to see you at Wembley. I thought I went and saw Spice Girls. What more do you want? And also, um, you played Wembley? <laughs> I played Wembley Arena. Oh, I did play Wembley Stadium. So, oh, my God. Have you heard about this? No, go on, do you know that? You know that big... That big do, where they tried to save the world. Madonna was on Red Hot Chili Peppers, Foo Fighters. Live 8, 8, that's it, Live 8. Danny Dyer was stuck in traffic and they needed a celebrity to come on and do a speech about the ice caps melting. So someone spotted me in the audience. I was just there. I got a free ticket. You know what it's like when you become, you know, start going up in the world. You say yes to everything, don't you? So they asked me to come on. So I do this speech and, of course, I'm getting more nervous and agitated. And I found people were laughing, actually, at what I was saying about the ice caps melting. I was saying, we're running out of time. We've got to do that. And then, ha, ha, ha. And I was like, oh, no. I'm such the wrong person for giving <laughs> environmental warnings. Alan, Greta wasn't available, so we thought of you. <laughs> I know. I felt so in bad, because I, I do give a shit about the planet, but it just, people were laughing. I was like, and then, of course, I was getting into stand-up mode. Oh, no, don't. Don't, I can see you laughing. Stop it. And then, of course, oh, no, Alan. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> no, I haven't played Wembley, but I have... Funnily enough, when I was on the arena tour, mm-hmm. my dad came along to see me at... It was a Spexy Beast tour, Birmingham NIA, and we had dinner in Birmingham. They'd come up from Northampton. And I said, come on, Dad, I've got to go and get Matt Soundcheck. Do you want to come? And he comes in there and he went, why? He said, you're playing this arena? I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, it's sold out. He said, it's sold out. And then I think that was the first time my dad was a little bit like... Oh, we actually have the same kind of job. You are coming out to a crowd, a big arena, where you're fighting on your wits, you might get a boo, you might get a cheer. And I think in in that moment he saw, oh, okay, I get it now. Do you know what I mean? It's it's very similar, football and stand-up. You go out there, you've got to put on a show, you've got to do it or you'll get a boo. But that that was the thing. That's when it was like, oh... because And do you know what? There's a bit that I said in my last... In the first book, look who it is. You know, he just... I think he didn't want me to be alone and he wanted me to have friends. Mm. He said, because when you're in a football team, you have 10 other friends. And he said, that's all I worried about you. And of course, I suppose when you look back, you know, they just say, all parents have this fear that you have a lonely, sad life when you're gay. Yeah. You know, sitting alone with a load of cats and all that. Um, but I mean, that's my dream, but yeah. <laughs> I know. I <laughs> so As it came out my mouth, I was like, oh shit, Susie would love that. Um, <laughs> no, no, they think you're, you're going to end up dead or, you know, yeah. or with a disease or that, have... or that you have this awful lifestyle choices. But it's not, is it? No, absolutely. I think that's the thing that, that my mum and dad were exactly the same. They just thought that I was going to have this very sort of sad, tragic life where I wouldn't meet anyone and I wouldn't have a family and that would mean that I didn't have this or that or the other. And I think that's something that seems to come up time and time again on this podcast is that what our parents feared 
it's actually the opposite. We have these diverse, interesting, funny, wonderful lives. But yeah. it was just sort of a fear from our parents because maybe we were... Like, were you, the, were you a bit of the odd one out at school? Well, th- this is the weird thing when I get asked this question because I'll tell you it, you know, you go from school... I mean, we're talking about education system. You're talking 5 to 18. 5 to 9, I was... No, 5 to 10, I was the class clown mucking about Alan you dress up as this da 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 nativity da 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 look at me puberty hits or that I started fancying people that mm-hmm. I shouldn't I was like oh why do I fancy him and not her then a complete weird didn't want to talk to anyone started my hand started coming on my hip my voice started sounding like an old lady's I was like whoa 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 something's <laughs> happening here completely became a recluse and then 16 a levels i sort of grew into my own body i realized oh do you know what fuck it and then yeah so i mean when i get asked that it's always a mixed one because i went from everything i was class clown making everyone laugh always getting thrown out for laughing and then for those four years when my body started changing and it's scary i got scared oh Mm -hmm. my god oh no What's going to happen? Oh, no, I don't need this right now. You know, and remember, I was fat, goofy, had glasses. I mean, and I've, I swear I was losing my air even back then. And then I started being gay. I was like, oh, thanks for this. I need this like a hole in the head. I was like, anything else? <laughs> Want to buy myself hearing aid and have the old fucking set? But do you think that's what made you funny? Did you start using humour then at that point? Yeah, probably, probably. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Because you've got to remember, people used to laugh at me. I never... And I look back... I mean, how many kids do you know have a catchphrase at school? <laughs> what was your catchphrase? Well, it was crap. It was, oh, hello. <laughs> I mean, it was like... And when you think about it, our teacher, can you give a message to Mrs Clark down the corridor? It was always me who had to do it. And I'd knock on the door, open up. It was, I was like someone in a sitcom. Oh, hello. And then they'd go, oh, hello, like this. And I thought, there's, come on, there's 30 other people in that class. Why is it always me going with the notes? And I wonder now, if I had a time machine, I'd look back and see if those notes were empty. (laughs) I think people just wanted to hear my catchphrase. (laughs) Well, I think you're probably right. (laughs) Clearly they thought, there's only one man for this. It's going to have to be Alan. <laughs> and did you want to do after school? You went to Middlesex, didn't you? Did you did you do drama? Did you want to do acting? Well, everyone goes, oh, Middlesex, you must be a good. But all I say, <laughs> no, the acting course was amazing, but I couldn't get on that because I didn't have any range. It's like when I did plays, I mean, I looked at an old um, review of me at the Royal Theatre in Northampton when I was at the, the stage thing. And um, Alan Carr gives a marvellous Julian Clary-esque performance of Bottom. Well, I was like, you what? Because I, did, <laughs> I just came on and just said the lines. So I was a bit like, oh, you know. But this is the thing. It was a rubbish degree. It was crap. I didn't learn anything. It was a waste of time. I actually got a job at Tesco. I'm the only student that left with no debt because I worked at Tesco. I only had to go in two afternoons for three hours. What a shit course. But listen to this, Susie. In the last year, I signed up for the stand-up comedy module. Right. And we had to go to the downstairs at the King's Head in... Yes, um, what's it Crouch, called? Crouch End. End. And perform 
for a crowd and our tutor would be hidden in the audience with a clipboard. So I had to come up with 10 minutes of stand-up. Admittedly, a few of the other students came down, but I was sick before and on. I was shitting myself. I didn't eat. I ripped, I'm not boasting, I ripped the roof off. Everyone was like, oh my God, Alan, you should do stand-up. I said, I'm not going through that again. Never again. And then obviously to cut to later stories, stuck in a dead-end job. I thought, Alan, you know, what are you good at? I thought, well, I was good at that stand-up on that course. Shall I give it a go? Yes, and then my, my friend Sarah put me forward for the BBC New Comedian of the Year award. She sent the application form off and I was like, you... Bloody hell. And, um, and yeah, I mean, I'm not saying I had done, I'd done a lot of gigs before that. So it wasn't just like I went on stage because those things don't happen. Um, but I was like, oh, no, no, no. And then I ended up winning it. And that was, I mean, to cut a long story short, I mean, I was gigging all over the place in these tiny little gigs. And they, she put me forward for that. And I'm so glad she did. And then uh, I won it. And that's when it all sort of changed for me. And that's when, you know, when you win an award like that, it, it just sort of does open some doors. And half the time, people just want things to put on the poster, don't they? Now, Alan, one thing I really wanted to ask you... Mm. What? <laughs> what? Mm. So, What's your pin? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. could I have it? Is that all right? <laughs> what I really wanted to ask you is, would you buy me just a little, not a massive house, just a little country house? No, so, you know, I, I've, I've said to you a number of times, and at the beginning of this, how much seeing you on stage really made me feel like it was something that I could do and made it, made it feel like there was room for someone like me in stand-up. Was there someone like that for you? Um... Not, God, this sounded, not really. I sort of went, because you know I'm not a stand-up stand-up. I don't go to see any stand-up. I'm the worst for it. I don't like going. <laughs> um, I just don't. If for me, it was a way out of a really shit job in a call centre. I was covered in psoriasis. Because, you see, I'm stuck in that dilemma now where people go, oh, when we were growing up. There was just John Inman and Larry Grace, and I was like, yes, wouldn't it be awful to be like that? I'm like, shit. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm sort of wedged in that group. And to be honest, when I first come out, me and Gok sort of got the same thing. And I'll tell you what's interesting, why everything's turned around. When I first come out and I'm like, hello, I'm Alan, people were like, I think people assumed there was an inauthenticity about it. Oh, here he is camping it up, playing the fool. Yeah, I remember you talking about that on stage. Yeah, and I think I've been around now so long, a bit like Gok, because when Gok comes in, fabulous, darling, hems are coming up, knickers are coming down, (laughs) everyone's like, I'll have a day off. (laughs) But he, I've known him for years, he has never changed, he does talk like that, he does give a shit about fashion, he will stop women in the street and grab their breasts before, (laughs) when you could do that. Back in the good old days. Good old days before PC went mad. And, um, you know, so, and I feel now I've been around and people know this is my voice. Mm. You know, I am it. You're going to have to put up with it. I'm sorry. You know, I, I do RuPaul's Drag Race and me, yes. me, me and Graham Norton have been doing a lot of press. 
And you know, and me, I would, when I first came out, me and him got lumped together. We would often get, oh, is this really what gay men is? Oh, are they really the best example of gay men? I'm like, well, listen, love, look what's coming out now for RuPaul's Drag Race. Me and Graham look like Arnold Schwarzenegger <laughs> and Sylvester Stallone. If you re- you know, be, you know, just watch out. You know what I mean? All those people, I wonder what they think now. Where yeah. it, no one batters an eyelid, isn't it fantastic? If man got a full face of makeup and comes on your dress, no one cares. And it's fabulous. It's brilliant. When you first yeah. sort of went into the public eye, because it felt like from someone, I mean, I'm sure it's very different from someone that's sort of playing the circuit and driving up and down the country, but it felt like as soon as you did the Friday Night Project, it was like, bam, you were on everything. And then Chatty Man felt like it happened really quickly, although it might have been years and years. But did you, do you feel like the press wanted you to be something or did you get like a lot of like the sun did they write articles about you or um as everything i do always gets slagged off and that's fine and that's not in that's i'm one of those things that happens and i'll tell you something interesting which you probably know anyway and i've told you when we were driving all around great britain when you were pissing in various stairways backstage in art centers across this great country sometimes it was in porcelain sometimes it was a paper cup you know i piss anywhere <laughs> and um, he hasn't changed that's the thing with Alan. he hasn't changed <laughs> i'm not actually next to a waterfall i'm just having a slash <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I went, I, I did, um, I warmed up for Jonathan Ross, which is a whole different story for his chat show. Absolutely amazing. I was doing all these gigs all up and down for like £50, £75. And then on a Thursday, I would go to the BBC and I would warm up. I met, well, I say met, I mean, you know, a load of people pushed past and went move. You know, Jane Fonda, Paul Newman, Bono, Madonna, Bowie, all that. Just basically sitting by the side of the stage while when Jonathan needs a wee, I went on and warmed him up. So I'll always thank him for that. So I did that and then I got the job, Friday Night Project. So when that came out, it got panned. What a load of rubbish. What is this? So then I thought, I was so assumed it was going to get axed. I said to Jonathan, can I come back and warm the show up for you? So I went back to doing warm up. And then I come out and everyone's looking, not everyone's looking at me, but like quite a percentage are like, oh, oh that's him, him. You know? yeah. yes. And then Jonathan said, you can't do this. It's weird. You have your <laughs> own show. Why are you warming up my show? You have your own show. And I was like, yeah, but they're going to ax it. And of course they didn't ax it. It got BAFTA nominated a couple of times. Yeah. We, did it, we did it about seven. Don't believe what's in the paper because there is always be an agenda. I personally can't say from the sun or the mirror. I haven't and I'm not trying to get in bed with the tabloid. But I've never really had <laughs> any bad kind of... I'm, well, I don't read them. I bet they slag me yeah. off every week. I don't read them and I don't know. And it's only sometimes some darling person on Twitter, I'm not on it anymore, would oh. say, oh, so Ali Ross has slagged you off again. And I'm like, oh, well, I don't yeah. read that, so I don't really care. Don't Can care. I tell you something that, that I find weirder than any, like, people slagging me off and all this? I was on Graham Norton's show with Sam Smith, Justin Timberlake, and Anna Kendrick. She's brilliant. And I foolishly went on one of the comments underneath. I think, was it on my Instagram? No, Instagram. It was my Instagram. 
and some went, oh, what an agenda. I am not going to be watching that. I feel I feel the battle now is sort of not going from homophobia. I, I feel we, we're all strong enough to deal with that now. But this thing that somehow aren't me, Graham, and all these gays are in some kind of mafia where... We've had a Zoom chat, Graham, yeah. and said, how can we make more people gay? Yeah. And Graham's gone, do you know what, Sam, Joe Allen, let's go on my show. I mean, they, they seem, it's, where is this ridiculous Sorry, thing that A people, because, you know, that, that Justin Lance Black, I read his book, Mama's mm. Boy, and like this thing about scouts, that gays in scouts are going to turn all the scouts gay. And of course you're not. No, you don't know what You feel sick, you feel exposed, you don't know what your body's gonna do, your voice is going up and down, you're looking like a haunted teapot, your hand <laughs> is glued to your hip. <laughs> scouts is not a place where gays wanna go because no. it's exposing, it's horrible, and it's just because my story's ended happily, it doesn't mean any of those fears go away. I've had a happy ending. But some people haven't. But I mean, the fact now that we're, we're we're just recruiting all the time. I mean, it's so insulting. I mean, that's the kind of homophobia that interests me. What about Justin Timberlake and Anna Kendricks? Was he trying to get any people straight? Maybe he was trying to turn me straight. <laughs> I mean, it's insane. That I feel that's probably the next battle of the homophobia thing. Because I can say hand on heart, I don't really get anything the last thing I got was I did an Instagram thing in the early days of lockdown me and Angelica Bell who's a very good friend were having a laugh and then one of the comments on the screen went ugh gay which I don't know I mean, why it, it didn't hurt it was just a bit weird just you know I'm weird, doing an Instagram don't follow me if you're ugh. if I'm making you physically sick because I'm gay just don't follow me because you know there's going to be some gay coming out. Some gay coming out, yeah. <laughs> I'm always seepage. about you. There's going to be some gay <laughs> seepage. <laughs> <laughs> for Jonathan was it then that you thought oh I would love to do a chat show myself oh yeah yeah I, I, I would I, I loved it I, yeah. I, I loved I loved just sitting there by the side of the stage and uh, Jonathan was really good it was one of those all about Eve moments the man who um, warmed it up was ill now listen to this for like you know everyone's getting a bit revisionist about their, their comedy past mm -hmm. for E4 I was starring in The Gay Computer which was a pink box with a letterbox and you would talk to celebrities and uh, someone interviewed the celebrity and I would be the gay computer and I would go and I would just bitch it never made the telly there's no way it could really? yeah honestly it was like the gay computer that's gay like that listen you know when you start off you accept anything oh, so you know what I mean I still do <laughs> especially since lockdown <laughs> I was the gay computer and it was so hot in that box. And then, oh, I came off and then we got the same management we, Danny, yeah. and then I checked my phone. Danny goes, are you in London now? I said, what? John Ross needs a warm-up in 40 minutes. Can you get to White City? I was like, well, I'm stuck in a gay box. Um, again. Again. No, <laughs> Story of your life, isn't it? I know. So I went there, cut a long story short. It sounds like I'm being 
very arrogant and big-headed but you so you know Susie we've all been there sometimes you do a gig where the planets align yeah and something happens and I went out there I could hear the four puffs and the piano roaring their head off I could hear Jonathan he said from now on you are my warm-up every Thursday I went down there so I would be doing Runcorn Blackburn, all these art places up there, and then down to Cornwall, Devon, like this. And then on Thursday, I would be having a glass of wine with Bjork and Nicole Kidman and Kylie Minogue, and then then back again. So I mean, it's this little window of just fabulousness, and I was like, oh, yeah. I'd love to have a chat. And listen, when 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 um when Jonathan Ross came on Chatty Man, it was a big deal for me, and what a compliment, and what oh, a lovely. Absolutely, yeah. And do you know what? He's a lovely man, and you know, with my Paul's had trouble with the booze and stuff, and now sober and everything. You know, he was one of the people that came forward and said, look, you know. He was really sweet. He's a really, really nice guy. And he, yeah. he, he gives me advice as well, you know, because he is TV royalty. And sometimes I'll say about a show and I'll say, oh, what do you reckon, Jonathan? Really nice bloke. Really nice. And, you know, he, he, he could have been a dick and said, I'm not. Why should I? You warmed up me. I'm not coming on Chatty Man. And he came on and he was brilliant. No, he's brilliant. I did his show before Christmas. Yeah. To be asked to do a, a show like that that's, as you say, like TV royalty, it was really exciting. And also it shows, and I know obviously your parents love you and support you and stuff, but it just gives a little bit of a thing to your family. Yeah. yeah. You know, some people don't go to see you in clubs, do they? But I no. know when I was on there, as when I was finally guest on there, it was to my mum and dad's friends. You know, oh, Alan's <gasps> doing stand-up. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To go on there, it was a bit like, oh, you know, can I have Alan's autograph? You know, and all this. No, it was the but, same But you know, you're me. saying about homophobia as well. Fame changes things as well. You know, I wonder whether some of the older mum and dad's friends, whether they would be as supportive. Now, fame changes things. Yeah, I, I can imagine that. I can imagine yeah. that. But I think that, you know, I think that, People like you being in the public eye, people like Graham, you know, all these people being in the public eye, I think that is so important to what does sort of slowly stamp out homophobia. Because, yeah. you know, people watching Chatty Man every week and sort of falling in love with you and asking the questions that they would ask, that's why I always thought Chatty Man did. I'd be like, you, you would ask the questions that I wanted to know as well of like, Rihanna or whoever else. And I think that's, I don't know, it just makes you normal if they've never well, met a gay person, which seems like a mad thing, but. Well, I know, I mean, what other country has Graham Norton on one side, then me on the other, that's unheard of. Yeah. And some of the Americans, I mean, it happens again when, on this movie show that me and Tom Allen do. I mean, we have, we have these, Amer we had Matt Dillon on and we had Matthew Broderick and, you know, um, all these people and, you know, hi. And then I'm like, hello, welcome to this something <laughs> about movies. And then you'll have Tom going, oh, shut up, darling. Oh, <laughs> no one gives a shit about you. Oh, shut up, you bald gay. I mean, they're like, what? Is this on the telly? <laughs> people but you know it, it, it's i think it's a very british thing to have you know we've always embraced the odd bods haven't we you know no one has nice teeth over here or anything you know it's no one we don't none of us is chiseled it's just we love an outsider no i totally agree and i think that there's such a history of camp comedy as well that people and i would say that even the sort of stand-up that i do is a bit camp you know not yeah. specific to sort of gay men but yeah there's such a history of it and I think you're right I think British we do sort of root for the underdog don't we yeah definitely I mean I don't think any other country would with this voice and these mannerisms I don't think but they sort of do uh, 
they do take you on there. I mean, and what was I saying then about that? Um, I was listening to, like, Tom on there, and there's one thing about... Because I got that, the same thing that Tom gets. All you ever talk about is being gay. Yeah. And, of course, they get it wrong because there's a difference between gay and camp. And I don't, and I just, it does piss me off that someone can have an Australian slant on, on life for an yeah. hour and a half, a yeah, Canadian totally. slant or an American slant. But okay, enough now, boys. Yes, we know what you do in the bed. When have I ever mentioned bumming or anal or yeah. nothing? I don't, I don't think, it's only in the third one, my Yap 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 tour, that I went in there because I started seeing Paul and I had to talk about a gay relationship. Not that I was avoiding it. I find this quite fun to like the, 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 the no man's land in between what the audience want to know and what I'm willing to give away. Yeah, absolutely. I like, I like the fun of that. But, you know, you know, it, it always comes to a shock, shock when, you, when you come out to your mum. And I said, and that's when I rang up Tom after listening to your podcast, I said, my God, my mum said the same thing. Don't tell your father. Oh, my God, don't tell your father. This is going to cause lots of problems like this. And um, but yeah, I'm just surprised she didn't know because you know we should, and this is so stereotypes and no people are going to roll their eyes. You're not meant to say, but you know, me and my mum we sat up, we'd watch black and white movies with Joan Crawford, Bette Davis. <laughs> I mean, that whatever happened to Baby Jane? It was the best film I ever saw. And then I get to 18, and then on Channel Four, let's revisit the camp classic. I'm like fucking camp. No one told me it was camp. And then me and my mum we went to see. The Prisoner Cell Block H stage play. <laughs> I mean, not the fun musical, the stage play where they recreate scenes from the soap. Oh, my God. I mean, maybe the signs were there. I know, but the shock when I told her. You just expected her to go, oh, well, yeah, but I think it's all tied in with grandkids and loneliness. Well, like we started at the yeah, beginning of this, you know. Is absolutely. he going to have any friends? Or he'll probably get an illness and, you know. But they must be so proud of you now. Oh, they are, they are. And, you know, I've grown and my dad's grown and I so... I feel bad. Well, you sort of know me, but, you know, like when someone wants me to do a hatchet job on my dad, I mean, my dad is so tolerant now. You know, he welcomes my Paul like he's a son. Yeah. He's grown. We've grown. Society's grown. You know, some people haven't. I'm not saying it's an easy ride for some people. But, you know, they're like, oh, what was your dad? Like, I mean, my dad's fine now. He don't give a shit. And I think you we've know. got to allow people to grow and change. You know, my, mm. if I just stuck to what my mum's first reaction to my coming out was, we wouldn't really have a relationship it was you know it wasn't great for a little while but it was you know it was a journey and now similar to your dad and Paul she loves Alice like she's got an extra daughter she loves her to bits yeah and you know that's the thing that's really hopeful so the final question that I ask absolutely everybody is if you could give a bit of advice either to yourself or if someone's listening and they're in a similar position to what you were in maybe when you were 15 16 what advice would you give them well, it would be the same as what Tom said when I listened to his, when you chatted to him. Don't worry. Everything is going to be all right. And I just, I just spent my whole life worrying, 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 worrying. But then I suppose, you know, if I hadn't worried, then you don't want to be self-confident, do you? You want to sort of be a bit of a sponge as you're going through all these amazing things. Because if you feel this is... If you feel this is owed to you, then I would be a different person. Do you know what I mean? And I wouldn't be speaking to the likes of you. Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's something that I mean that's something that I wanted to say as well. I mean, 
I, I'm sure you know this, Alan, but you're very much considered by like everyone in comedy and you talk to people and, and I'm talking about like comics, people you work with, people that are newer comics, people that are established, people that work behind the scenes. Everybody constantly says, oh, Alan's the nicest man in showbiz. Oh, that's well done. Now you're not going to get me to cry like I'm you not going to try Tom. and get you to cry. No, no, I'm not. But that is that is the truth. It's everyone Susie, does, does Susie, say that you're the nicest you're, guy in showbiz. You're like a lesbian onion. <laughs> <laughs> I stink. <laughs> No, so many layers, you stink, but you do make people cry. <laughs> you spice up a lasagna, I don't know. <laughs> well, that's very kind, and you know I can't take a compliment, but that is very sweet no. of you to say. Well, it, well it, it, it's a compliment, but it is also true, and it's and, and I mean, and thank you for giving me your time. Um, I really, really appreciate it, Alan. Oh, thank you so much. It's been a real joy. Thank you. Well, I absolutely loved that conversation. As I'm sure you could tell from my voice throughout, I love Alan. He's such a brilliant guy and has always been so supportive of me and my career. And he took me on tour and he gave me encouragement to stick at it when things weren't going that well. And I will always, always be very grateful to him for that. Um, thank you for listening as ever. Uh, thank you for being part of this. If you want to get in touch, please do. The email is hello at outwithsusieruffle.com. And I'll see you next week when I have an interview with a pop star. How exciting. I'm so excited for you to hear it. Have a great week and I'll see you then. Bye.